Hello and welcome to the After Dinner Podcast. My name is John Keeley and this is the podcast extension of ROI Show 530. Our guest for today is the ROI team who will be talking to us about the most frightening things. A history buffs joining us are Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. Terry, why don't you start us off with something we've talked about in the previous radio part. We've talked about film. We've talked about a little bit of music. We mm -hmm. talked about... Um, um, television, you name it, what do you want to go with? Well, let's talk about events. I think, especially maybe historical events, and for me, the scariest thing is when we see a collapse of civilization, um, political strife, or it could be natural disasters. And, you know, the first images that come to mind is Pearl Harbor. You know, we see clips after clip of that and, and how horrifying that must have been and, and wondering what's going on, what's happening as everything is being destroyed around you. I mean, yeah, your dad was of age, and he was going to be sent in that direction. Did he ever tell you uh, uh, what the nation was going through about Pearl Harbor, or was he already in the service then? He wasn't in the service then. I don't remember. Pearl Harbor, for my for my dad in our house, was was part of, was trapped under a blanket. Okay. Um, because my dad was part of MacArthur's shock troops he was first on the beach from new guinea all the way to okinawa Ooh. and yeah and he literally had entire platoons shot out from underneath him he was the only person who survived six times and then finally the seventh time um as they were getting ready to go into okinawa he got malaria for like the eighth time and it was so bad that they shipped him out he didn't actually make that landing um so all of that, all of World War II was basically behind this wall. Now, I heard some f what, what to my kid ears sounded like funny stuff. It wasn't funny if you stopped and thought about it as an adult. My dad talking about a, the, a kamikaze pilot hitting an ammunition dump on a beach and all of the munitions Ugh. going off and all the soldiers running down the beach, right? And, you know, it's the giant fireworks and whatever. And he, he you know, thinks he's run far enough and he gets behind a banyan tree and he hears this helicopter sound. And about 10 feet above his head, the entire tree disintegrates because it's some piece of shrapnel from some huge thousand pound blockbuster bomb or whatever it was. And his comment always, you know, sort of deadpan with a smile on his face was, I decided I wasn't far enough down the beach. <laughs> okay. And, and yeah, and you, and we laughed and whatever, as an adult, I think about that. And I bet that is not the response no. that he had, mm -hmm. you know, no. that was a, um, you know, I need a new pair of underwear kind of event. I'm sure he did run for down so so world war ii was kind of trapped for me for me the the terrifying event and it really wasn't an event per se um in the sense but it was the um public safety movie that the army did where you dropped an atomic bomb and you had mannequins and and a and a town and it showed you in slow motion what happened, I saw that as a five-year-old, as a kindergartner, during a, a drill, during, you know, because we were doing uh, fallout drills at, at that point. And, you know, we watched this, I don't know, 15 minutes, 17 minutes. I mean, you know, as an, again, as an adult, I don't, it wasn't that long, but it felt yeah. like it was for 
ever. And if we're talking about the same one, they had that cheesy duck and cob yeah, in the background. Yeah. So it was, it, it was a sound of like, oh, everything's going to be okay, but... You yeah. know, and, and I just remember, so after the movie was over, we all had to practice getting under our desks. I and I can remember that, having yes. seen this film, right? And I'm like... This isn't enough. No. You know I mean, all you, we, I'm, I'm going to hide under kindling. I remember that the second thing. I mean, the impact wave was the first one, and then every the second one was the fireball. And it's like I got a wooden desk over top of me. This doesn't seem like a great idea somehow. <laughs> um, mine was, uh, and honestly, I, I was just, I wasn't even born when it happened, but I saw it later, and I was like, my God, you use it as a tactic, but. Lyndon Johnson's Daisy commercial. Remember the gals, he loves me. He only showed it like once oh, or twice. Sure. But then the atomic bomb, remember? And it, it was with Goldwater. Yeah. If you vote for Goldwater, that was the conclusion. A little gal going, loves me, loves me not, loves me. And like, right when you get the last one, you hear the sound like in the same of, a, of an atomic uh, missile cutting out in the countdown. And there, her whole body in the image, she's x rayed because it's over. And. To have that as a commercial, and it was only done maybe once or twice, but it got the point across, and a lot of people said it cost Johnson many, many, many votes because he was always talking about possibly using atomic weapons more than Johnson. And I, I, yeah. I it wasn't there. I saw it years afterwards, but even when I was in high school, I was thinking, here you are watching the TV, watching a ball game. It's September. The playoffs are going on or whatever, and here comes this commercial of a little girl, oh, this is so nice. And then she's got, she's radiated. She's gone. She's dust. That must have just put a, a harpoon of fear through a ton of Americans. And for a commercial, uh, you know, it was, I think of all presidential commercials, it's the one that is outshines them all. And I didn't think they showed it that many times. It was even too powerful. Okay? Well, I, if we're talking about just an event and not a visual event but just a historical event. To me, I can't think of anything truly more horrifying than pick your Western Front World War One. Right. Um, you know, that, that was such a mismatch between the technology of destruction right. and what people could conceive. And you can... You, you can pick your pick your poison of these guys in trenches and you know whether it's shells or whether it's mustard gas or whatever and and no one is prepared in any psychological way for that situation and it just keeps happening it's it's the nightmare that never stops and to go with you i was going to say a poem that is still to this day just terrifying is Siegfried Sassoon's aftermath, where he sure. talks about in the beginning. Uh, have you forgotten yet? Um, for the uh, for the days that moved on since those gag days, and he starts talking about all the horrors of the war. And in the conclusion, have you forgotten yet? Look down and swear by the green of spring that you'll never forget. And those that last paragraph, because this is a guy who is telling you, and it was very hard for vets, is like with your dad, sure, to talk about it face to face. But you read what he is reciting in that poem. He experienced it firsthand. 
and it's brilliantly written. And it is scary as all get out. And I keep thinking with what's going on with Putin and Ukraine. Sure. It's incredibly similar again. And it, and if they somehow get out of this war, what terrifies mm-hmm. terrifies me is you're going to have a a, a generation. That's more than 100 years younger than the Robert Grays, the Siegfried Sassoon's, the Wilfred Owens from Ukraine. And they're going to have their own generational sure. publication that will have it horrifying in a totally different way. Yep. Um, one quick note. Uh, I haven't heard all of it, but as a kid, I heard a chunk of it in seventh grade. And it terrified the hell out of me. And I even knew that it was just a presentation Orson Welles' War of the Worlds. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God! Even, even today, it was I knew the book was in England and it was New York City, but he had the perfect voice. He did for telling yes. you that the world was coming to an end right. of a Martian invasion. Yes. What, what do you yes. guys think about well, that? Well, and one? people believed it. You know, there were so many that actually believed it was happening live as he's telling it. Um, so it makes you wonder how people at that time were set up for that or easily fooled or wanting to believe it. Well, because radio was such a powerful thing. You yes. had no visual medium at that point. So you And you had learned over the previous 15 or 20 years, you had learned to use radio as your news outlet. That's that's how you got your information about the world. You couldn't, you didn't have the travel, you know, in, there was no interstate system. There's really no airport system, you know, all of those things. So anything you knew about outside of your own little world, you got on the radio and, and he played it perfectly. It would be, it might have been possible to do something like that in say the sixties with television it would be impossible to do anything like that now because our news sources are so varied right that that nobody and we're used to fake news and you know all and of those it never kinds stops of you had radio yeah. stations another point i'd like to throw at that though is that at the time in 1941 of course pearl harbor's months down the road this is halloween of 41 hitler is doing everything over there in europe and what the japanese and when this came out i always wondered if people are thinking Wow, are the Martians going to go get the Japanese and the Germans? Because they're here now. But they're here now. If you think this is real, this is we're seeing real armies do horrific things. And here we can't stop them, so are we going to all, you know, because it wasn't like the world was peaceful in 41. It's right. setting up the stage for, for, right. for World War II. Sure. I and think- I, I always thought that'd be a great paper to get. What were people thinking about that? And I think people were on high alert, as you say. Right. And so you were just waiting for the next disaster to fall your way. And so, it, and so when it did, it did. <laughs> and and you you swallowed. Orson Welles was so brilliant at looking at society and saying, "You know what? This is where we've got a little weak glitch here. Let's just cram it down there." Um. Events around here. Are there any things like, uh, I must admit, when I was a kid, the haunted house out in Eldridge, most of them were kind of cheesy. That was the first one that we ever saw. That was, okay, these people knew. what. Now it's kind of, we have friends of ours that are put them together all the time. But when I was a kid, we went out to that in Eldridge. And, oh, my God, we were shaking in the car. And my dad would kind of notice. And he's like, why don't we stop and get some ice cream so you guys can, like, calm down. Did you guys have anything in the community that just, like, rocked your fear out of you, Jay? I, I, I actually have to. I was it. 
I did it. So there is a medieval feasting tradition, okay, where you make these fantasy pieces. And sometimes they're they're mythological animals, but they're all edible, right? This is where the concept of four and twenty blackbirds. You actually paste you know, you made a pastry shell, you put the blackbirds in it, and then they would come flying out and it would be really cool. But it was shock effect and they used not just birds, they used mice and frogs and all sorts. Okay. So one of these recipes was for something called mock entrails. So essentially what you did is you took dried fruit. You know, in this case, we're talking about apples and pears and things like that. You cut them into slices. You let them sit out in the, in, and you dried them out, okay, over, you know, a fire or something. You let them sit out and dry out in the sun. So they're edible. They, they truly are edible, right? And then you, you st- put them on a string, like you were stringing popcorn for a tree, okay? And you covered them in syrup that had been mixed with some kind of food coloring. You know, in the Middle Ages, obviously, you were talking about mixing it with some fruit puree, so strawberries or cherries or whatever. Um, And then you bake it, and when you wrap this thing around, it really does look like a set of intestines covered in blood. Okay, so you, the modern version to jazz that up, use Cairo syrup, right? And you put red food coloring in it. So I made this for the first year, one of the first years at our the house that, that Sue and I built together. My wife, when we got married, we built a house, blah, blah, blah. Anyways, so this house, the, the doorway, the entry to the house has a little area, and then there are bushes on either side. Okay, so I had put a little air gun and put ghosts on either side so I could hit a, a button on the on the ground and these two things would jump and you had two ghosts that would jump up, okay? So I walked out. So what would do, kids would ring the doorbell and I would have this plate of mock entrails. <laughs> and I would walk out and I would say, um, you know, kids are trick or treat. And you'd walk out and you'd hold the thing out and you say, well, help yourself. And then you'd reach down and you'd pull off a chunk of this. And of course it's dripping and all the rest of this. And you'd put oh, it up no. and you'd let it smear down your face, right? And these little kids would, you know, they'd, they'd get this look, right? And then just at that moment you'd hit and the two things would jump out <laughs> and they would lose their minds. I wonder why your wife does not let you out in public so much. So this reminds me of some of my childhood birthday parties because my birthday was end of October near right. Halloween. So, yeah, so it's yours. And yep. so what they would, my mom would do, we would, friends would come over, we'd sit down in the basement, we'd sit in a circle and you had to close your eyes. And then my older sister's would pass around things and put in our hands and say, this is the brains. Of course, it'd be like spaghetti or something, or this was this. And yes, it was horrifying because it's like, what is this horrible stuff that's now in my hands that you pass to the next person? Jeez. Oh, <laughs> we would like to thank our guest, uh, the ROI team, uh, with us tonight for the 530th show, who has been talking about the most frightening of things. Uh, the history buffs today were Jay Swords and Terry Toppler. ROI can be found at 9.30 p.m. on Friday nights on KALA Radio or on the web at TuneIn.com.
If you're looking for older programs, you'll find them at SoundCloud.com. Just put KALA Radio in the search, click on the first icon, and scroll down to find nearly a decade of ROI shows. You can also find ROI on your favorite streaming platforms. ROI is recorded at station KALA, St. Ambrose University.